I'm Christopher Kakuyo Sensei, and I'm a Sensei of the Salt Lake Buddhist Fellowship. We are an independent, transsectarian, all-inclusive American Sangha in the Mahayana tradition. The Way of Oneness podcast is a collection of our Dharma talks, delivered at our Salt Lake City Fellowship Sangha. Enjoy the Dharma talk. So, for today's Dharma talk, I want to talk about right speech. Most of us are familiar with the uh, song, the lyrics, that your mother's probably shared with you when you first started going to school. It starts, sticks and stones... They break my bones, but words will never hurt me. me. And you're looking at your mom and you're going, bullshit. (laughs) It hurts a lot. And in reality, we know that words can be used as weapons that can hurt deeply. I like these letter, these lines I came up with when I was thinking of it. I was like going, oh, that's pretty cool. And it's, uh, sticks and stones will break my mo- bones, but your words will break my heart. I go, oh, that's really, that's cool. That's original. It's not original. No. <laughs> There's some song that somebody wrote a, while, a long time ago that actually has those lines. So we know that that's a nice sentiment, but we know the power of words to hurt. I really appreciate this quote from John David Anderson, and he wrote a book called Posted. A quote, I know what you're going to say, sticks and stones and broken bones, but words can kick you in the gut. They wriggle underneath your skin and start to itch. They set their hooks into you and pull. Words accumulate like a cancer, and then they eat away at you until there's nothing left. And once they are let loose, there really is no taking them back. End quote. Now, I know we know that. We get that. Both on the receiving end and on the giving end. Some years ago, I dated a very angry young woman, and at times mean. Though for the most part, she wasn't mean to me or angry with me. Until towards the end of the relationship, when... Things started going south. She told me that when she was really young, other girls and boys would pick on her. And she learned quickly the power of words, how cutting and mean and hurtful a word could be, and how the big bully would all of a sudden be small and run away. It could make the strongest and meanest girl cower if you could find the softest spot to speak at. And she learned this lesson early, and she kept it with her, close to her heart, to protect her. I like this quote from Isaac Marion, author of The Burning World. He says, I don't have to be a monster to hurt people. I can do it gently with a single careless breath, end quote. I'm aware, and my hope is that we become more aware that we all struggle with this. We all use words carelessly all the time. 
And when we think of mindfulness, rarely do we think about our words. We may not even be aware of the impact that our words have to hurt others or ourselves through our self-talk. One day, sitting at a bar, a guy I don't really remember says to me, I remember you. I used to work with you years ago, and you mocked the poetry I liked. You mocked it. You're such an asshole. Gets up and leaves the table. Years ago, I worked with him. I barely remembered him and the conversation. We don't know the impact of a careless breath or a careless word or a sharing of an opinion that means so little. Talk about karma. For those of us who think that our speech is good, I'm, I'm good with my speech. No, I'm pretty good. I don't say mean things. Ask yourself, how often you talk about other people when they're not around. We call that gossip. There, there we are ascribing their motivation and their action and my, our interpretation of the reality of who they are based on what? Even careless gossiping can turn into harmful speech if it affects the way another person sees another person. The Buddha calls this divisive speech and idle chatter. One definition of gossip is speaking about someone who's not physically present. And of course, the context changed. Sometimes we need to, based on our job or our role or what the context is. But the majority of the time we do it, we just do it, and it's just what we do, and it's part of our lives. I like what Alan Locos, he's a meditation teacher, and, and I read this years ago, and it stayed with me ever since then. Uh, quote, it doesn't matter whether it is said in a positive or negative, if the person's not there, it's gossip. If we have to speak about someone who's not present, we should speak of them as if though they were. That's a good rule. An exercise I do once or twice a year is to designate a specific period of time, a week or a month, when I do not speak about anyone who is not present. That's a really good, really good practice. And he says, I find that my voice gets quite a rest. <laughs> I don't have a lot to say. Try it. It's really fascinating. Even just one day. Just one day. And especially at work, because usually this happens at work. More than anywhere else. Work or school. Okay. Dealing with the dynamics of work and school. It happens. He says, I find that my voice gets quite a rest, and that part of my ego that believes I do not gossip gets quite a jolt. It's funny how hard this can be to practice. A friend of mine, when she was eight, was dancing in a room, laughing and having fun, and her mom walked in and said, don't do that. You're not a very good dancer. You're clumsy. That's <laughs> horrible, isn't it? And this was 20 years later, and she's telling me this story about how much that 
hurt. And her mother did not intend to hurt her. Again, a careless word, a thoughtless phrase, can have an impact on another human being. Our words also do harm when we label people like they are objects in a museum, never allowing them to change. You are always this. You have always been that. When we are stuck with a label, no matter how much we change or try to change, others want to keep us pinned down, so they label us. We do not have to engage with them or see them when we label them. When we label somebody a snowflake or a republic, repub- what's that one thing? A repub- whatever, I don't even know how to say it. Yeah, a Republican, whatever. Um, Whatever it is, somebody uses to label somebody, it's so we don't have to engage with that person. It's a way to pigeonhole. It's a way to control somebody. It's a way to make them not a complete, whole human being. It's divisive speech. We don't have to see them as they really are, uh, not just a part of our constructive narrative, Because that constructive narrative gives us an illusion of control by diminishing another person, by labeling them, or putting them in their place. This is especially true these days. I think we all know from our own experience that words have the power to heal or to wound. As humans, we are worded beings. We engage with the world through the abstraction of language. This this thing we call us is a language-created story. So it makes sense that words can both heal and harm, and at the same time reveal and hide. Our very existence is a languaged existence, verbal and nonverbal. Is that why we all long so deeply to truly be heard? Is that why we long for someone to really hear us and listen to us? With all this power to hurt or heal, it makes sense that our mindfulness practice would entail how we speak. When the Buddha went forth after his awakening, he came with the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path. And the Eightfold Path was the map the directions out of suffering, out of the thicket of attachment and disappointment, and toward wisdom, compassion, and freedom. It is surprising that on that path would be the cultivation of healing and compassionate speech, of mindful and wise speech. And part of right speech is right listening. These aren't some mysteries to be delved into. It is simply being aware of the words we share. One of the practices the Buddha taught for the cessation of suffering was that of right speech. The Buddha defined right speech as, quote, and what is right speech? Abstaining from lying, from divisive speech, from abusive speech, and from idle chatter. This is called right speech. End quote. Just looking at this definition, we can see that right speech is a mindfulness activity. 
Because to do as the Buddha asks, we have to be mindful of our thoughts and our tongue. He goes on to teach, quote, One should speak only that word by which one would not torment oneself nor harm others. The word is indeed well spoken. One should speak only pleasant words, words that are acceptable to others. What one speaks without bringing evils to others is pleasant. And, quote, abandoning abusive speech, he abstains from abusive speech. He speaks words that are soothing to the ear, that are affectionate, that go to the heart, that are polite, appealing, and pleasing to people at large, end quote. We're not doing so good in this stuff, are we? Just seen an argument on any Facebook posts, or most Facebook posts. And we're going, yeah, but the Buddha didn't live in our time. What is he talking about? And I think that this can be totally seen in our our social environment, our political environment right now. We're doing the opposite of right or healthful speech. So what are some of the causes of wrong speech? I think it's simply suffering and suffering and suffering. I lash out at you or you say something that might lash out at me or taken negatively or hurtfully. And that's because we both hurt. Because I'm a hurt, because I'm hurt or I'm afraid I'm going to say things to try to protect myself and then turn hurt you and hurt me. Once years ago, I said something hurtful to Linnea when we were first dating, and she asked me, why did you say that horrible thing to me? And it was the first time in my life that I had ever been truly honest with myself and her. And I looked at her and I said, because you hurt me and I wanted to hurt you back. How often have we done that? Consciously and unconsciously. I admitted that, and she said to me, I don't know what to do with that. And I said, I don't either. But that's the truth. And what we end up seeing and observing is the repetitive cycle of suffering. I hurt, you hurt, I hurt you because you hurt, you hurt me because I hurt, and we keep the cycle going and the suffering and the woundedness never gets healed. This is something that the Buddha taught was part of mindfulness, and that's contemplation, reflection, acknowledgement, and confession. Probably weren't expecting to hear the word confession in the Buddhist group today, were you? <laughs> Quote from the Buddha. Having performed a verbal act, you should reflect on it. If on reflection you know that it led to self-affliction, it's interesting that he points that out, that it hurt you. Self-affliction, or to the affliction of others, or to both, it was an unskillful verbal act 
with painful consequences, painful results, then you should confess it, reveal it, lay it open to a teacher or to a knowledgeable companion or a friend in the holy life. Having confessed it, you should exercise restraint in the future, but on reflection, you know that it did not lead to affliction, affliction, that it was a skillful verbal act with happy consequences and happy results, then you should stay mentally refreshed and joyful, training day and night in your mental qualities, end quote. This practice, this right speech, this mindfulness practice of right speech and speaking healing words and being aware of our speech is one of the most fruitful and most challenging of the Eightfold Path. And I've been thinking about this and about our preconceptions and attachments we have to our own Buddhist practice. How many of us criticize our own practice or others' practice because they don't meditate enough or meditate right or only for 221 days? <laughs> How many of us even think that our speech, as one teacher put it as being, the wholehearted expression of Buddhist practice. Right speech is the wholehearted expression of Buddhist practice. Most of us would never think of it that way. We have preconceptions. Well, no, no, he's a serious meditator. He meditates you know, an hour a day, every day. No, he's a good Buddhist. Right? But we don't think about it as some, simply somebody who's practicing right speech. And you don't have to be Buddhist to do it. There are plenty of people who practice right speech in the way the Buddha intended. How can something so straightforward that anyone practice be the wholehearted expression of Buddhist practice? Because it is itself the heart of mindfulness practice. As one mindfulness teacher, Beth Roth, writes, quote, right speech is a mindfulness practice. By undertaking this practice, we commit to greater awareness of our body, our mind, and our emotions. We learn to restrain our speech in moments of anger, hostility, or confusion. And over time, to train our heart more frequently to incline towards wholesome states such as love, kindness, and empathy. From these heart states, right speech naturally flows. End quote. We start the practice of right speech in silence. We can only practice right speech if we are really listening to one another. These lines from Thich Nhat Hanh express just this. Quote, deep listening is the foundation of right speech. If we cannot listen mindfully, we cannot practice right speech. No matter what we say, it will not be mindful because we will be speaking only our own ideas and not in response to the other person. End quote. Many of us struggle with listening deeply because we are constantly speaking out of our own ideas in response to another person. Maybe we speak out our own ideas louder and louder because no one is listening to us. Have you ever wondered 
why you keep talking about the same things over and over again, or why others in your life seem stuck on something and talking about over and over. And maybe it's just the simple fact that they're telling us they don't feel listened to, they don't feel heard. To practice right speech, we start from a place of deep listening. I appreciate these more lines from Beth Roth regarding deep or right listening. She says, we want to listen with our body, our heart, our eyes, our energy, our total presence. Listening in silence without interrupting. Fill any spaces of silence between you with love. End quote. I really like that. What do we have a tendency to do to fill the silences with? Words. More words. I'm uncomfortable. There's too many words. I'm going to start talking. I'm going to start filling in those silences because I don't know what to do with it. Fill those spaces instead with love. Being in such a place, we can really practice our aspiration for right practice. And here are some basic guidelines laid out by the Buddha. Now, in this passage, it refers to the Tathagata, and the Tathagata is another name for, for Buddha. And these lines can be found in the Abhaya Sutta, in the Pali Canon. So, from the, from the mouth of the Buddha himself, the criteria for deciding what is worth saying. In the case of words that the Tathagata knows to be unfactual, untrue, unbeneficial, or not connected with the goal, unendearing and disagreeable to others, he does not say them. Two, in the case of words that the Tathagata knows to be factual, true, unbeneficial, unendearing, and disagreeable to others, he does not say them. In the case of words that the Tathagata knows to be factual, true, beneficial, but unendearing and disagreeable to others, he has a sense of the proper time in saying them. Four, in the case of words that the Tathagata knows to be unfactual, untrue, unbeneficial, but endearing and agreeable to others, he does not say those words. Five, in the case of words that the Tathagata knows to be factual, true, unbeneficial, but enduring and agreeable to others, he does not say those either. Six, in the case of words that the Tathagata knows to be factual, true, beneficial and endearing and agreeable to others, he has a sense of what is the proper time for saying them. Why is that? Because the Tathagata has sympathy for living beings. End quote. If there is one practice that you really want to start doing in your everyday life, and maybe you struggle with meditation, or maybe your circumstances make it difficult to do regular meditation practice, this is a powerful mindfulness practice that you can use every single day of your awake life. It's a powerful practice that anyone can do. And I'll post the guidelines from the Buddha on what to do um, for right speech. So I want to break it down, though, simple as, I, I, as we end the talk and I 
have you guys go forward into your day. And I'm going to use the words of Rumi. Most people don't realize he was a, he was an honorary Buddhist <laughs> and, a, and a Muslim. Um, and he says in one of his poems, and this would be a good one to put on a mirror or in your car, he says, before you speak, let your words pass through three gates. At the first gate, ask yourself, is it true? At the second gate, ask, is it necessary? And at the third gate, ask, is it kind? How simple is that? How simple is that? May it be so. Org. Our website will give information about meetings and other services that we provide the community. Again, thank you for listening.